Hello and welcome to Write Sweat, the podcast for fan fiction, friend fiction, and fun fiction. My name is Jen, and I'm joined today by my co-host Jesse. Leah's in Long Beach, Long doing Beach. badass job stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Happy birthday to her! It's her birthday tomorrow as well. Yeah. Happy birthday, Leah. Hope it was a good one, since you will be listening to this in the future. <laughs> She's listening to the future when her birthday is in the past. <laughs> so we're here tonight, just the two of us. So I think I thought we were gonna we should talk about something that we watched together separately, and that is the movie Colette. Yeah, Colette. Uh, I was really excited to see this when I first saw the trailer because I am a junkie for period pieces, and it stars Kira Knightley, my like queen of period pieces and uh so all that together with the fact that it's about a writer a woman writer i was just i was fucking ready i wanted it up my ass i was ready (laughs) had you so you had seen trailers before because this really kind of strikes me as one of those movies that you might just see because you got the afternoon off at work and it was the next thing playing (laughs) that might be the case for most people but for me because i am such a junkie kind of thing like i follow a specific blog that talks about period pieces and okay oh i was ready (laughs) i saw it immediately Uh well i was pleasantly surprised with it i had think i think if anyone sees the trailer it felt like from the trailer it was going to be a lot more about the sort of passive domestic violence of this female author and her husband and him, you know, uh, emotionally and creatively abusing her. And it kind of kind of was sometimes, but for the most part, it was kind of just fun in a way I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yeah, it's fair to say, too, because I also from the trailer thought that it was going to heavily revolve around her relationship with her husband and just the fact that he was taking credit for her writing. Yeah, that's really only one thread throughout the story. Um Oh, that's only a thread for the first two fifths of the movie. Like it's not. Yeah, even... yeah. <laughs> this I is mean, like good three point. Movies in one, yeah. Yep. Um, and just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Colette is a 2018 biopic uh, directed and written by Wash Westmerland, who uh, previously did Still Alice, the movie where Julianne Moore gets Alzheimer's or something. She's like a smarty pants professor, and then she starts forgetting who she is. Uh, and then it stars Kira Knightley, uh, and then Dominique West, her husband, and I guess. We know him from The Affair. I don't know. He's one of those guys that I know, but I don't. I couldn't tell you a thing he's been in. <laughs> There's some people who have faces like that. Well, it was so confusing because he had such uh, such convincing fake weight on. You know, he had a pillow jammed up his belly, essentially. Wait, that was fake? That Yeah, it looked fake. It looked like he was like a kid that put a, like a blanket under his, I mean, a pillow under his <laughs> Really? Sure. I thought he was just like really weirdly like shaped i thought it was like a weird dough man i was like all right some people look that way i guess (laughs) well i think think colette's husband was supposed to be like significantly older than him or her and i think that was the i guess the only way they could really do it in the movie because they can't ugly up their actor you know he's not he's not uh it's not vice you know that's interesting that like the way they were like i think we should translate his age by giving him a stomach (laughs) <laughs> well, because I, I guess so. Uh, the the author, the husband is based off of was known just as Willie. His name was Henry Gautier Villars. He was a a writer, music critic, uh, in France, and he he went by the name Willie. And I guess he had a very everything that I've looked up about him. He's, he always had the top hat on and the same facial hair. So I guess past the facial hair, what really can you do? And he all the pictures I found of him, he's he's fairly chubby. I mean, he's 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 rich French guy chubby, you know, where he's just eating cheese and wine all day. <laughs> but I guess that's as as well as they could do with just the vague, the vague belly on it. Hey Jennifer, at the beginning of the movie, wasn't it weird when her when Willie farted? Wait, what? There's a scene at the beginning right after Willie and Colette get married, where it's a, like it's in the first like eight minutes of the movie when she moves to Paris finally, and he's like leaving the house and he like bends over and like farts and she like smiles and it's. Like setting up how happy their their marriage is supposed to be. That's weird. That didn't stick out to me. I don't remember that. The thing that I remember being really fucking weird was I went in to see a period piece, fully ready for all the like airs of of grace and shit like that. And then like first things first, this old man Willie is like courting this young girl Colette, and I I think he's gonna be like deceiving her or something like that. I wasn't sure what was about to happen yeah. um just yet. But then they just go fucking a barn. Yeah, that was great. That was really weird. They straight up fucking a barn. And I'm like, I've never seen in a period piece 
and like anyone do so much as like kiss anyone's hand like they're fucking in a barn like <laughs> and like quickly yeah i thought i totally they kind of like set it up like he was like a predator and like she didn't like him like he yeah was an old man like buying this young woman and then that wasn't what it was at all it was very alarming the other thing i noticed from the get was that they're all supposed to be french right yeah yes yes they, they all are. have they all have english accent yeah i think that's the best they can do they're like and it's europe for the woman in the middle with the southern accent that should have been speaking in a different accent because her southern accent was bananas oh god that was so distracting wasn't it so i do declare it was like the <laughs> Like, yeah there was a character toward the middle of the film introduced an american visiting france and she was comical it was so hard to take her serious oh it was great but yeah i uh there uh did you see the death of stalin this year or last year yeah it's supposed to take place in russia and it's got jeffrey tambor and uh steve buscemi and a few other actors like that and they all have their like brooklyn accents in it because they didn't want to change them so there it's better than that at least it's england at least it's the same continent but yeah, so so already from the get, I'm like, oh, there was a fart. There's the weird sex scene. Everyone has a weird accent. So I'm already back on my feet a little bit because I thought this was a straightforward, you know, sad period piece movie about oh. husbands and wives. Right, right. Um, <laughs> it really wasn't. Yeah, because then she goes, Colette goes to France and almost immediately starts writing or she, no, her husband's a writer. He has all the writers and ghost writers, which is an interesting thing to talk about. He's got a real sense of who Willie is, the character and who he is as Willie, which I thought was interesting. And that's something right. Yeah, like he plays a persona, a brand, right? So like yeah. the idea of like you yourself being a brand dates back as far as this, even further back than that. Yeah. And I thought it was crazy too, because at the beginning they, he like kept having to write things or his assistants kept talking about it. And I was just, how would anybody fall for that? Cause he was writing like articles every day in the newspaper, music reviews, two novels a month, you know, like I don't get how anyone would have thought that was one person. I mean, it must've been in their view, the Stephen King of the time, they were like, Willie oh, just, yeah pumps it out <laughs> yeah and so just to clarify too the the movie colette and the titular colette is supposed to be gabrielle colette who was a author i never knew about from france she was nominated for the nobel prize in literature says on her wikipedia and everywhere that she was a mime actress and journalist apparently according to this movie she was very popular in france and we're just stupid for having not known that <laughs> i mean that very well could be true uh i mean there's so many things from france that people always tell me are popular that i never knew about like uh, valerian apparently is very popular you know the that space movie yeah i know and i've seen valerian that was popular in france Oh, apparently it's the most popular comic book over there. People have always been trying to adapt it and never really worked. And finally, uh, a Fifth Element guy came in and did it. You know? And did a shit job. I'm sorry, France. You deserved better. Oh, uh, you're wrong. That is a great movie. Oh, really? I'm a big okay. Valerian defender. I love it. I love. How I love the concept and a lot of the visuals, but I was real let down by the uh, cardboard people. I was so bothered by Dane DeHaan when I first watched it. And then I've seen him in other things and realized he's doing something on purpose in that role. He's acting like that for on purpose. And if that's good or bad, I don't know. But the fact that he did it makes me appreciate it. Because <laughs> he can't act. So he's like choosing to be a little cardboard weirdo. Making mm -hmm. Carol Delvini look like a great actress. And she's not an actress at all. <laughs> then they kill Rihanna at the very beginning. Ethan Hawke's in that movie. There's so much in that movie. We could do Valerian casts just... 10 week <laughs> we're we're tossing uh sabrina the teenage witch just to become a valerian podcast valerian. <laughs> sorry leah some changes have been made <laughs> <laughs> just v talk i don't know what we would call it um yeah but then so then she goes to paris her husband is a fancy pants so she starts going to fancy pants parties she goes to the salons and i thought that i don't know if i've ever seen a salon in a movie except for maybe, yeah actually uh, midnight in paris Maybe he's the only one I can think of. Yeah, maybe that. I mean, yeah. How did you like those scenes? I don't know. The, mov uh, the movie in general was a lot more raunchy than I had anticipated. I did not expect that at all. I really, really genuinely thought it was going to be like depressing Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised by the just outright like 
titty bars and shit. Like it was crazy. Yeah, once you get like the writing thing out of the way, and now that now once like Claudette's books, Claudine, which are like semi-autobiographical, start being popular in France. The movie then does kind of shift into like who are these couple gonna fuck now for the next like hour and a half like, oh for real yeah there was like a oh god we're getting off track here and like probably not following in sequence in sequence so it's hard to like understand what's happening right. but definitely that that southern girl that we were yeah. complaining about like yeah. that is when it shifts into just like a comedic battle between a husband and wife to see who could fuck who first like it was great yeah they were both trying to fuck that American and they both knew the other was fucking the American. Uh-huh. So they were trying to like see who could fuck her more. I don't know what was <laughs> happening. It was hilarious. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of, but I've seen this on the internet and I'll hear like my polyamorous friends always talk about it. Like it's like a funny meme where they're like, you know, every romantic comedy could be solved if they were poly. And we all kind of laugh and go like, oh, they'll never make that movie. But this movie kind of asked that question. Like, what would a romantic comedy be if the couple was poly? And things Yeah, this maybe- is basically it. This is a romantic comedy if all people are, like, trying to be with each other. It was hilarious. Um, it also proves that romantic comedies would not just end if they were poly. There would still be ridiculous shenanigans. Yeah, and that's kind of what I liked is, like, it seemed like sometimes they had an agreement, and sometimes they understood what they were doing, and they were fine with it, and then sometimes they weren't, and I don't think they knew why, which I'm not in a poly relationship, but I can imagine sometimes it's a little hard to keep everything, like, the same all the time, emotion-wise. Yeah, and I thought that was that was fun, because then when the, when the issues do come up later, it, I don't know if that's the main issue, but it seems to be, like, that's a part of it, but it's not all of it, because they're also... Uh, artistic couple and there's like artistic problems that show up because i think he he like sells the rights to her book oh fuck later. that who i got heated yeah luckily they have the postscript on the end there where it says she, she said she bought him back or they just gave them back to her or something yeah and it's weird too because like when he sold the rights it actually kind of tugged at my heart when he talked to her and you could uh-huh. see that he felt bad for hurting her like like he wasn't an outright villain, even though he was an asshole. Yeah. Like you could see that he knew he'd done wrong. Yeah. That was interesting. Well, this same the same weekend I watched this, which was last weekend, I watched all three versions of A Star's Born, but not the new one. But I've already seen the new one. But um, you kind of know the basic plot of those movies. Washed up, famous guy finds young woman who's very talented. He helps her. She gets more famous than him. He does gets mad about it or loses work still. He embarrasses himself and then eventually dies. He eventually kills himself in every version of it. Um, and so going into the, this movie, I thought that's what it was going to be. And it sort of does deal with that, but it also doesn't deal with that like in a tragedy. Because there is a reading of A Star is Born where it's like, you know, don't let your woman get too famous because it'll kill you. Um, but that didn't really happen in here. But there was still issues with that just because he couldn't get out of his own way in a similar way that the star is born men do. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that like, I don't know. It didn't really seem like he was against her success. It was, I guess it's kind of hard for me to like articulate what his problems seemed to be. I think his problems seem to shift. I think, I feel like there's also like a subtext to this where he's like an alcoholic and he's just like, cause he keeps losing money and they don't really explain why, except for that. Like he pays a prostitute sometimes. Well, and it seemed like he also gambled. Isn't that what part of it was? Yeah, I think he had like a drug, a drug gambling issue that they kind of didn't. At that point in the movie, it's not about him anymore. It's about Colette because she's just miming and hanging out with trans princes and stuff like that. Um, so I don't think you really see what he's doing. Yeah, and I guess they don't really explain it because it's both both irrelevant and possibly unknowable. Like maybe that's really not in the public records. I have no idea what the fuck he was doing. It would have been fun to like play around with that a little bit because it seemed at the beginning they were playing around with like the public willy, the authorial willy, and then like the the real quote willy. Um, so it would have been interesting to have seen them kind of like in the back half say like which willy was getting him in trouble. I don't know, like mess with what his his what he thinks his realities are because he's kind of like split three ways. But that's a different movie. Yeah, that would have been cool to see. But yeah, that is a different movie because it was really focused on Colette. So we watch her go from this like really simple uh farm town girl like where country she lives girl. on a farm with um uh, the dursley mom right <laughs> yeah 
And she moves out to Paris with this guy who's like already really famous. And he's like, basically, she's like a little trophy, uh, like country girl trophy that he shows off. And everyone's like, can't believe Willie got married. Whoa. And to this girl, it was very like classic, cute, um, introducing the country girl to the party. You know, she didn't fit in. They made fun of her clothes and all that. Yeah, but then we watch her go from that to trying to write for him to help him. I really like the the writing scenes where she was like truly like excited. Yeah, to be it writing. was like a fervor, like something took over when she was writing, and then he would like lock her up in rooms, wanted yeah. more of that, and it wouldn't come naturally. Um, she'd be like, "No, I'm locked in a fucking room, dude. Let me the fuck out." It was weird, like it was torture. Um, I like it when he asked her why she hasn't been writing, and like she's like decorate the house that like house the <laughs> writing house he bought her. Yes, I love that. I loved it. It was just like a normal person. She's like, dude, like, I'm not like a freaking like writing factory. Like, Uh it was so weird. And then I just, it was interesting because, um, like you see her go from that where she had like the, like bursts and like, like fervor for writing, but it was inconsistent and also like weirdly associated with him, like forcing her to write. So when she exits that and she's no longer being forced that are her natural, like, like bend toward creativity just like blossoms and so basically yeah. when she gets away from his like controlling hand in in her later adult life she just like really goes nutso um with her creativity in like a great way it was amazing like becomes a mime yeah that uh that show she put on was a little questionable but yeah there was there were, uh just to <laughs> give context uh there are breasts you do see you do see Kira Knightley's titties well, there was that part, but then there was also the one that they do in the Moulin Rouge that they get booed out of, but that she does, like, the the Egyptian thing where she comes out of the sarcophagus. Yeah, that's I'm picturing that as that was actually what I was literally thinking, but I'm like, is that too much of a spoiler? But what the fuck does that spoil? Yeah. <laughs> that she comes out of a sarcophagus? She, yeah, so we, we go from small town girl to girl in really, like, weird uh, play production that... Uh, she ends up boot off stage from like very strange. Yeah, that was strange. Well, and then I, from what I've understood about, you know, turn of the century movies and films and books and all that sort of stuff, fetishizing the East was, you know, in it's in its early days. So I imagine that. Well, so I guess it's authentic in that respect. Good old racism never goes away. Yeah. That was one of the things that I don't want to say is bad about this movie. Cause I don't think it's bad, but certainly a decision is that, they kind of pick and choose when they want to be anachronistic a little bit. Like there's a joke about Twitter in there. Wait, what? Yeah. There's a, there's something about how people will be tweeting about this. Uh, I'll have to look it up. He make, at one point, Willie makes a joke about tweeting. You can't be serious. And I didn't register that. That is absurd. Uh, and then there's, there's other parts too, where I, I don't know. I couldn't find it, but yeah, he makes some joke about, about tweeting, but then there's like, and then there's things like her at the end, Colette correcting her husband for, for using the wrong pronouns with somebody, which I don't, I'm not arguing that she wouldn't think that was true or not, but I don't know if that language or those sort of conceptions existed then. I know they did, but I don't know if you would correct somebody about that or if that. Right, right. Like the social, at the time, the social context and uh, conversation around um, being trans. I think it was uh, a fine It's very different than, you know, 2019 America. So like watching them obviously write a conversation about transgender issues in a way that an American in 2019 would discuss them was really interesting. I mean, I actually loved all of that stuff, but you definitely could feel the touch of a 2019 writer on the way that scene was handled. Yeah. But then there's like some parts where it wasn't like that, where it was like, like the Egyptian thing where it was truly trying to be just like the time, what was going on. I don't know if the clothes were, but it kind of felt like the clothes were a little bit like that. Um, I liked how Colette pushed boundaries with her clothing, which seems consistent with her like, personality yeah. i don't know if that's true for real colette in real life but i know that the way they portrayed her in the film it made sense that she'd be wearing clothes like she wore um like a tr- edgy fashion well that was a part about her husband like starting to control her right it was because she started wearing like suits to the salons and then yep. they put her in that like the 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 claudine outfit with the you know the black like it looks like the the evil witches and Sabrina where it was the black jumper or whatever with the white. Oh, I kept thinking Wednesday Adams. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. That's probably what Wednesday Adams truly is based on. 
But I thought that was interesting too. I how much information they they put into her her clothing choices. Yeah, or not not choices truly, just the clothing actually. Choices. If you think about it that way, that she was so controlled in those to to dress like Claudine that maybe that at least within the context of the film, yeah, that's why she rebels so visibly through her fashion choices. Yeah, that makes sense. It was cool. Yeah. I loved it. I loved seeing a period piece where this chick just fucking wore suits and was like fuck y'all i'm dating this trans man you can rot in hell like i loved it It was great yeah i kind of wanted more of that relationship because it kind of they said that they were they made obvious they were together they said they were doing that traveling mime show Mm -hmm. but we didn't really ever see any conversations between the two of them we saw conversations between her and her husband about that but we didn't for what kind of became the central relationship in the back half of the movie we never i don't think they spoke to each other yeah i actually thought it was weird little her partner featured. There should have been a little bit more. Um, and just for context, yeah, her Claudine Claudette started dating uh, Mathilde de Mornay, according to Instagram, uh, according to uh, uh, Wikipedia, who went by Missy, who was an artist, a French noblewoman. It says here, but then later uh, she kind of started identifying as a man and had people call her he. And then he wore um, suits all the time, sort of. Not traditional, but suits of the time. Said in 1944, he tried to kill himself, and that didn't work. But then it, it did. Uh, two months later, at 81, uh, at 81 years old. I didn't know he died that way. At 81, though. I mean, at least he lived a long life. But it is sad to hear that that's how that ended. But oh, yeah, so he um, was 80 and 44, and Claudette died in 54 at age 80. Oh, that's only a 10 year difference. Okay. Because in the movie, they made it look like they were probably the same age. Yeah, yeah. I thought for sure they were around the same age. And Wait, so I'm confused, though, because from what you said about Wikipedia, it sounds like Missy um, transitioned later in life. But by the time I don't know what the Colette language... was dating him, I yeah. already thought that he had like transitioned or whatnot. Um, well, it says here, I think of the issue is the the language of it now compared to then right um right here on wikipedia it says one of the most well-respected missy scholars dr kajiji amin considers the difficulties in addressing the label of transgender recent historians have claims that as a transsexual uh she never duplicated the claim she never said she was moreover neither did anybody else so it's it seems that it's it's unknown it looks like that they did have a mastectomy at some point though and a hysterectomy so it could also be just that's kind of lost to history, but I don't know. Interviews... I think I think you'd have to be like trying to avoid the conversation to like say yeah. that Missy was not trans. Like whether or not Missy would identify as a trans man in 2019 is a different story, but it's pretty obvious that Missy had like issues around their gender. Like so maybe yeah. you know, like that was clearly whatever yeah. Missy was dealing with, and so trans for sure. Like end of like. Whatever specifically that was, we'll never know. But well, that's like, um, that's like when you talk about um, fuck. What's that Virginia Woolf book? We talk about Orlando. You ever read Orlando? I haven't. No, I have not. Like it's certainly like a a, a queer story, and it, it really lends itself to like discussion of it like that. And it's also a a woman, a man becomes a woman inside of it. But it's hard to know like how to talk about it because you don't really want to talk about it in today's talking, but that is still important how it's now how it's now interpreted today. But you also have to be a little bit aware of what it's doing then. But at the same time, yeah, you have time, to consider to options too, yeah. like what people felt was possible then versus what they would feel is possible now. Like you don't know what their I don't know what their uh, frame of reference is for how how they're choosing to articulate their own feelings. Well, yeah, there's that, and then you know, uh, when you when you look at you know the history of of queer and and the world, it only really goes back like this conception of like gay or straight. It's only you know 200 years old at the oldest. Right. So like as like a term that we recognize, but I mean, obviously, affection, love, and sex for like different genders has always been around. So like that is the issue is like the way we talk about it now is so uh, like uh so um filtered through our own lens that it's yeah it gets kind of distorted by how we see things now and i think this movie dealt with that pretty well there's these couple scenes that we remember uh and i saw some things said about online calling it kind of disparagingly like a woke period piece 
Um, but I don't think it was, but I think it is trying to bridge the gap a little bit. You can't just ignore these things because it's a period piece, but at the same time, we don't have a lot to work with. I don't even know if I would have called it a woke period piece because they didn't even frame it at any point in time during like the trailers or anything no. as like, come watch this girl fuck a trans no. man. Like they didn't, yeah. um, they didn't do that shit. I didn't know that was going to happen. I was like completely caught off guard and loved it. And when it happened in the film, it felt really pretty natural. I was like, yeah, sometimes in life we meet people like this. Like it felt like, oh, I get to see what it was like for someone in the 1800s who was dealing with that shit. Because of course there was someone like that. Someone like Missy. It's like, I don't know. Do people want period pieces to just like never mention these people so that we don't have to feel like it's fake woke like come on like stop even being so concerned with whether or not something's woke these people exist yeah i mean if you even just want to talk about the period piece as a thing i think like the romantic comedy it gets written off as as bad just inherently or it's just for dumb women or it's just for women so it doesn't have to be as good in general and then when things try to do something that's better, they get shit on for either looking like the old thing or not looking like the old thing. That's a good point. They don't get allowed to grow. So I think this movie does that pretty well. It doesn't give you too much where the normal person isn't going to be able to buy into it, but also gives enough where somebody who knows those beats of a period piece enjoys how it transgresses them a little bit. But that's not the whole point of the movie. I don't. That's a good point, right? Like it doesn't uh, limit itself to the period drama conventions entirely but it doesn't betray them so aggressively that when you go in expecting a period piece you come out like furious that you didn't get what you paid for yeah i mean did you see uh did you see the favorite i loved or i haven't seen that oh god i got so confused no i have not seen the favorite yet well a lot of people either love that movie or hate that movie and i think it is a matter of expectation because if you go in expecting a regular period piece with just like a little bit of quirkiness to it you're not going to get that if you go in thinking you're going to see something that's really going to eviscerate the period piece, you're not going to find that. But it's it's really good if you're able to get out of what you assume it's going to be. And it really, it's not like it's surprising. It's just if you don't go in thinking you know what it is, you're 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 going to enjoy it more. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to see that one really bad because from the trailer, I got the impression that it was basically like a thriller, but period piece. Thriller. It's also like a comedy. It's also like a a love triangle. Like it's there's there's a lot of things going on in it. See, that's fun, and I like that. I like kind of adding more to the period piece realm. Like, does it all have to be Pride and Prejudice? And I will say, I'm absolutely here and ready to watch nine thousand different yeah. versions of Pride and Prejudice. Like, sign me the fuck up. But at the same time, I like having the other things to watch too. It's fun. Well, yeah, anyway, yeah, talking Pride and Prejudice, Kira Knightley is, that's her crown jewel, right, is, yep. is being in that movie? Yeah, so she's so good in it. She's so good in everything. I just love she her. She was so good in everything. I mean, that's why I get a little frustrated that she so often goes like, I'm just going to do period pieces and make them really good. Because I, I, I don't, it's not that I don't want to see her in period pieces, I just want to see her in everything else at the same time. <laughs> All of it. Just do it all. I do like, though, that she kind of like recognizes that period pieces can be written sort of like trash for for dumb girls and she's yeah. like you know what i'm a sister and i'm gonna bring my serious acting to this shit because it can be serious and good yeah she's never bad and it's something even if like in this movie too the writing is not solid and some actors do flounder a little bit i think the actor that plays willie flounders a little bit like we said the other actresses in the movie don't really bring anything to it except for the southern girl with the bad accent and so somehow kira knightley is able to use that and still still be good and something that's just pretty much okay all the way through delightfully okay yeah i mean i really liked it but i definitely i i will say that the, uh, the american definitely threw me off um i don't know if that's her acting or the accent though i like Still, I'm confused about what I was feeling when I, whenever she was on screen. I wonder if she was a British actress doing a Southern accent. Maybe that's what was up. Or maybe that's really what Southern accents sounded like. And I'm just so oblivious that I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> nonsense. Like, it really felt like comedic, like straight up, like ripped off from like a cartoon. I was like, what the fuck? It was, it was, I have that note. It's uh, British accents, question mark, and then Southern accent, question mark. <laughs> that's your notes for Colette. Well, I also wrote down in the first in the first like 10 minutes she was like uh what the fuck did she say they were like all the girls at the the 
town look up to you? She's like, yes, they call me the girl with the hair. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Because yeah, then they make a like, point later to like have her cut her hair. And I was like, yeah, I still don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be like a thing, I guess, for Colette that she had a lot of hair. I, I don't know. I didn't pick up on that. Maybe because it's like petite Kira Knightley with her like delicate fine hair. I was like, this isn't really, it's not really adding up. Okay. I think there's something that we're losing though, because I don't know. I don't truly before this movie, I didn't know who Colette was. So yeah. Maybe she, because I, I, I noticed the haircut. I recognized the haircut. Maybe she was the first to do that haircut, like turn of the century. It could be. I mean, that's the thing that the film, the film did uh, posit or like make it seem as though Claudine, the character that Colette created back when she was still ghostwriting for Willie, this was her original story. The, yeah. The Claudine character was um, basically just like a teenage girl uh, living on a farm, like semi-autobiographical. Well, she was living on a farm, getting into some sexy, fun situations. Yeah, and that's the thing that like kind of rocked France's world is that like it was a story about a teenage girl kind of doing some raunchy shit, breaking some rules. And that's what landed so well with the community that everyone was like, wow, we can actually relate to this. Uh, Claudine feels real. She feels like a teenage girl we would know or be. And um, so Claudine rose to success like crazy. And Willie was really popular because supposedly he'd written it. Anyway, people started dressing up like Claudine and all the shit. And um, so I, Claudine influenced fashion. And that means Colette influenced fashion. So, yeah, maybe her doing that hair was like original. I don't know. It's hard to know. But that was, was a weird situation. An interesting situation the movie set up was very early on. You realize there's a writer, Willie, and then there's a real one. And then once Colette starts writing, there is then a writer Colette and then a Colette, but she is supposed to be lying about writing the things, but then supposed to be the big capital A author at the same, like she's supposed to have authored these stories, but not write them, you know? So it was a little kind of interesting how they, how they dealt with that. Wait, what do you mean? Like she was supposed to have been living these stories that, so that's why they made her cut her hair. So she looked like the character she wrote, wear the dress so everything looked the same. Oh, right. Yeah. She was meant to have been Willie's influence, right? Like that was the yeah. the joke was that he was actually married to the real life Claudine. Yeah. And um, it was actually like, yeah, he is. and But at the same time, he did not create Col- Colette did. Do you think this movie is a conversation about the way identity and authorial identity has been so violated lately in the past, you know, 20 years about having to like now be a brand. That's actually a good point because I'd actually never in my life considered that there would have been anything like Willie where it was a man paying other writers to pretend to be him ghostwriting and all that. That's not an uncommon thing, even still. I I just had never thought about it existing before now. I, I don't know why. I guess because I see now as more like business oriented than the, than the past, I guess. I don't know. But it was interesting seeing uh, seeing that because it made me realize that maybe Shakespeare was not written by one person. JK, um, that's not my point. <laughs> <laughs> um, my point is, uh, so I mean, I think that you might be right that, um, that maybe the reason this film was made now and the way that it was is because that's something we care a lot about now yeah. in our culture. Yeah, and then, you know, that rolled in with the the sort of proto-feminist discussion of it. Mm-hmm. And then also just conversations about authorship in general. It's just, you know, do you care about if this is real or not? Yeah, it doesn't matter what name is on the cover, which, I mean, yes, in my opinion. But I can yeah. see that conversation playing out in the film. Well, it's interesting, too, because... And I've talked to, you know, I've heard famous writers, not famous writers, sorry, but accomplished writers talk. And there is, you know, they have to pick the title that's going to sell the best. They have to pick the cover that's going to catch your eye because mm-hmm. that stuff ultimately sells it more than really the quality of the book. The yeah, quality can it, go here or there, true. but you need, you know, you need to catch them first. Yeah, uh, that's something they say to self-publishers is uh, to not go cheap with the cover artists yeah. that you pay. Like, don't go cheap because people will absolutely judge your book by its cover. Use your fucking brain. Yeah. We all know it's true. Accept it and dump your money into a book cover artist. Yeah, so I guess this movie was saying, not saying that that was bad. The bad part is truly stealing people's work and then not respecting it. Because he truly stole his wife's work and then 
sold it and made money that she didn't make later without talking to her you know sold yeah and i think ultimately the thing for me like because at the time she was really pretty okay with writing for him and she was like in on the joke and was cool with it and like and she really seemed to enjoy just the actual act of having the chance to write now yeah and she and honestly it seemed kind of like an in joke between them and he'd be a little paranoid she'd like um you know snitch but still overall she seemed in like seemed totally okay with it but then when she started to kind of crave recognition and asked for it he just turned her down and was like super condescending and shitty about it and I think that's where the mistake is made. Um, if she was asking for recognition now, if he had just given that to her, they could have continued on being a writing team. Because um, yeah. he did help her with um, like copy editing and feedback. Yeah. So it's been interesting to see how his greed for fame and recognition and being the brand that he is was so strong that he couldn't risk losing that by saying, actually, my wife has written this story that you know and love. Well, and then, yeah, he had... I don't know if he truly had written anything. And I wonder if that's also a conversation about how, you know, you get that big and really you don't have time to write. If you're going to be a, a popular writer, you can't be writing. You don't have time for that shit. Oh, yeah. He's too busy being a manager of a business, which is the business of Willie. Willie is a business. Yeah. I mean, there's parallels to that now where, you know, the only time JK Rowling probably has to write is to just create things for Pottermore. And so they're weird because it's the one fucking thing she can work on anymore. You know? <laughs> Or maybe it's weird because honestly, sometimes you weird, dumb ideas and it's like, I can respect that. I guarantee you she doesn't write those. I guarantee you there's some team that sends them up to her or sends them up to her executive assistant and they okay them. I'm sure she doesn't really. I mean, I'm sure she does write some of them, but I think it's possible there's a team contributing. There is a team of people who help George R. R. Martin uh, stay in check uh, and stay consistent throughout his books. I mean, it makes sense to me. They've been doing such a good job, really keeping him on time lately. <laughs> uh, I actually really love that he will not publish that book, oh, and I hope I that he—I hope that he sticks it out for another ten years. I just love it; it's so funny to me. I love showing, seeing him show up on like such other less things, like on Instagram. Let's show him like at a party or something. Oh, I love it! Yeah, and people are like, "Don't die before the next book or whatever," and I just love that he's. He hates that naturally, so he just won't publish the book. He's like, fuck you guys. You keep saying you don't want me to die before, so I'm going to. <laughs> He's got enough money now where he only has the right if he wants to. Yeah, you know, I totally get it. It's like, stop fucking hassling this dude. He gave you this amazing thing. Like, shut your mouth and accept it. <laughs> and he has a chance that I don't know if any other author has had. In that, in the, the, the TV show, they brought him in, him in to talk about, to consult on the ending. Yes. So if the ending doesn't work in the TV show, he doesn't have to use that ending for his book. Oh, shit. You know, Jesse, so he's like... <laughs> you just cracked the case. This is why he hasn't published his book. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> it's the, the most privileged first draft anyone's ever had. That is amazing. Oh, my God. That is definitely what is happening. I love it. So, yeah, it's the biggest feedback group in the world, you know. <laughs> That is so fucking good. The entire world feedback group. Yeah, because oh he can God. blame it on somebody else and they're just not doing like, it. wow, those idiots really didn't listen to my notes. And he's like, yeah, bring them in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> he's ripping up a little piece of paper that says Snow Dragon. <laughs> oh, God. It didn't so work. <laughs> uh, what else happened in this movie? Well, I, what I thought was interesting, too, more pertinent to the podcast is she started off a writer. I'm always really interested in these sort of artistic progresses of careers so she started off of a as a as a writer and then became a a, a mime yeah they call it a mime on her wikipedia page i would not have called that a mime i'm confused that's another french thing that we're just not getting is how important that like sort of mime like that where they're literally like stuck in a glass box how that was like a radical and legitimate art for a while and so she was before that so she was like a proto like mimer like she was like a pioneer of miming i guess that is so bizarre because yeah i would not have lumped that in with the rest of like the artistic world i really did just think of it as like mr mime from pokemon go like really just like a cartoon like oh like you can't touch this air because it's a wall 
Well, that's sort of mime too. Was yeah, that's that's making fun of the thing that was like legitimately respected in France for a long time. <laughs> oh shit! So that's like literally the mimes we see on streets were mocking the legit mimes. I don't know if they are aren't, but it's all a version oh. of that sort of. Oh, you mean the Pokemon was like a. Yeah, Mr. Mime is a joke on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that much. I thought you meant the ones that were like in black and white on the streets with their little white gloves were mocking the art. Oh, maybe that's a part of this movie, though. Also that we're not getting because we didn't we don't know who Colette is. and We don't know the beats, though. Is this in a different world? Is this like Colette, a Star Wars story? Is this solo where it shows all these things we're supposed to know that she invented or that she did? And we're supposed to like go like, oh, that's where that came from. Like in Solo, when he met Chewbacca and explained his last name and <laughs> all those little things. Like, do you think somebody in the theater was like, oh, yeah, she she did the mime. <laughs> I bet you there were French fans or or even maybe like a really intense, like feminist lit, like master's degree people who were like, oh, yes, oh, yes I'm ready for the Colette film. Uh-huh. And then um, <laughs> they're like all about it when when they saw her like come out of that stupid sarcophagus they were like oh yes the moment (laughs) they're definitely going to be showing this movie every semester in some weird classroom once a yeah yeah. and they're going to overanalyze it oh man there's going to be shit on the patriarchy Um, there's going to be six students there and then one that's there for extra credit yeah god there's going to be one that talks so much that the others don't get a single word in and then someone else blogging about it on Tumblr. <laughs> but yeah, I guess so. I liked how the movie Kaiju, I don't know if it did it in a way that was good, but it was watchable uh, about how creativity and creation doesn't just stay with one genre. Sometimes you kind of have to grow and move around. Because I think ultimately she came back to writing after she got like the rights to everything or Willie and her broke up or whatever it was but you you know that she kind of had to do the one thing to get to the other right yeah she she had felt stifled for so long that she just continued her creativity in a different outlet and for her that was acting and she absolutely fucking loved acting what i like about that too is that at the time acting was considered a little bit beneath her station oh yeah so her husband willie was very concerned about how people would perceive it, but he ended up supporting her anyway. I thought that was cool that he like brought his friends and were like, yeah, like my wife Claudine is actually going to act. And, um, they went but then what happened? They all booed. Well, yeah, but they didn't. Um, I thought the idea was that they booed because of Missy because Missy's ex-husband was there. I was a little curious about that too, because they, in the salons, they were like, that's how she is. And that's different, but they're like still all pals with her. And then, I thought it was the same crowd at the at the Moulin Rouge, but I guess it wasn't. I guess I need to rewatch and kind of clear up what happened in that scene because I had thought that it was uh, Missy's ex husband inciting violence, not um, Colette's friends. I think maybe Missy's ex husband had friends there. Okay. So I think they were friends and then had remembered Missy before as a woman and as their pal's wife, and to see to see them in a suit playing a man on stage i guess was too much for them or something yeah and because missy also uh behaved as a man um in front of them outside of acting they like were really triggered they had a kiss scene right isn't that what isn't that when that happened yeah like the inside the thing that incited the violence was like the men being outraged at seeing uh colette and missy kiss on stage as characters is that when her boob gets pulled out that's later in like a montage right no yeah that's later <laughs> that was when i was like for real <laughs> that, was that was so great. funny i i really loved it it was great well that was what was confusing to me so they do it the moulin rouge everyone boos and then they go we're gonna take this show on the road and then they don't show us the viewer the reaction of the 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 rest of the audiences so i didn't know if it was working or were they just going on a tour where they were getting booed every night yeah yeah i wondered about that too and then i kind of just accepted from the later scene that like all right i guess they figured out whatever wasn't working but i really think uh that's actually what makes me think that my initial thought might be right that it was that particular evening went bad because of missy's ex not because People didn't enjoy the show. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, that stuff was weird. I liked it though, but it—that's when the movie starts clicking on, and it's like essentially just a montage for the next forty minutes of the things she does, and it's fun. But 
I don't know who this person is. So it's just a person having fun, which I liked. (laughs) For me, it did actually feel um, like a lot happened toward the end. Like it was um, end heavy (laughs) and like not a lot um, of like drama toward the end, except for the whole him selling her rights. But yeah, well, it's an hour and 50 minutes long and it really does feel like maybe 55 minutes of that is the ending. Yeah. It like does last a bit a third, long. There's definitely three acts to it. It's just she starts writing, she's popular, and then everything after that. And I um I didn't mind it. Like I didn't feel like the structure yeah. was bad per se. No. Uh, but it was different. Either. It was different than uh the typical film's structure, I think. A little bit in a, anyway for then. It really it really rode that line between not working at all and then working really really well it could have very easily been very bad yeah i agree that it like they could have just i mean it would have taken one scene to throw all that off and there was still stuff that didn't land quite right and was a little out of place and a little weird but it didn't break anything which is unusual for a movie that's that close to the edge of bad yeah i i kind of mean online i keep seeing people saying that they got broke they they jumped out at the moment that that southern accent showed up but you know that could just be oh yeah well. well you told me you found some other reviews for this tell me what you found because i'm i like to go on to letterboxd that is where you like log the movies you watch and you give them star reviews and you can type say a little something all right we're gonna start a new segment colette letterbox go <laughs> colette letterbox so firstly this guy gave it one star he said a crowd pleaser with manufactured con- conflict not very compelling one star what a crowd pleaser with manufactured conflict he's he's describing a movie yeah that's what that's so funny manufactured conflict also to be fair the manufactured conflict real conflict that is documented in history (laughs) and also not like that like weird it wasn't that like confusing conflict it was like oh the marriage started off kind of rocky didn't really get much better and then ended it wasn't like (laughs) Yeah. really contrived there wasn't like strange devices to it or anything yeah yeah uh this one's Funny. one and a half stars this ain't eat god damn it this ain't it chief i'll leave this <laughs> one for the bisexuals the husband was in it for way too damn long i tapped out an hour in oh my god this ain't it chief get out of here with your stupid ass fucking dead meme this is all one sentence by the way <laughs> All right, so someone from Tumblr, where punctuation is illegal. So yeah, so this movie is for bisexuals. They'll appreciate it more. But the husband was in it for too long for this this user. The husband was in it for too long. The husband, not not Colette. No, yeah, the the second lead to the movie. It could have been called Colette and Willie, and they wouldn't have to change a thing. Oh, they were. He was in the movie. Too, I thought he. I thought that reviewer meant that he was in the marriage too long, and I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> that maybe that could be true too. But it makes more sense to say that the husband. Was the film too long which actually i will say there were times where i'm like he's still here <laughs> yeah i didn't need to see all of his solo stuff well, i didn't need more of that or less yeah there i think that was for me part of where it didn't work that well it was like kind of like trying to continue his story it was like like you said they didn't they didn't do enough or they did too much either or but at the same time this is a go and that should make you mad this is one and a half stars. Culturally misappropriated throughout. No, which culture? Whatever. Okay. Script is bland at best and fragmented at worst. Whatever. The film is more invested in villainizing the male character than it is in creating strong female ones. Was okay. there a villain to that movie, would you have said? That's really interesting um, because I think I said earlier when talking to you too that the husband is, I guess, the antagonist, right? The villain. But there are scenes where, I mean, he's a terrible guy. What he did to her was wrong. But there are scenes where you can see that he genuinely feels bad. Like, he's not a 2D villain. He's a person. So it felt very, like, sympathetic in a way. I didn't ever support his decisions, but I appreciated that he was a human character. So I don't know if it was focused on villainizing him because they really did a lot um, to humanize him. Well, it also did a lot to show that there was a lot of men worse than him. Like that room of men uh, booing the Missy off stage, you know? Yeah, that's true as well. And, you know, and he also, I, this sounds weird, like to be defending the male character. God, who am I? But anyway, yeah. um, like I said a second ago, he 
he went out to see his wife act and even though he put all the money up to do it her station yeah he like brought everyone out he was like all right guys let's line up it's time to support my wife like he was all about it i loved it um it just i guess what they did was they respected that that man was a real man with Mm -hmm. you know multiple facets and um they did a good job of like showing that he was multifaceted humanizing Um, so that's weird i don't know about that and the women were like aggressively strong and dope as shit this chick yeah. left her husband to go fucking show her titties in dumb acting <laughs> show like she was rad well i think they did as well as they could do the movie didn't really allow for much more than that yeah the montage was really like here's the montage of her being dope yeah <laughs> this this person then ends their review with also the worst american accent i've ever heard i mean <laughs> yeah that is yeah that that checks out that checks out it's hard to describe it reminds me of like the southern lawyer chicken on futurama or um what's his name in the midnight of garden of good and evil uh where he's really truly just like i do declare i have the vapors like it was <laughs> it was foghorn leghorn you know oh for real it's like i can't even imagine but it was like it's literally like someone who's never been to the united states thinks a plantation owner talks like oh yeah it was and so you need to, if you can get a clip of that sound, you need to throw it in. Oh, I will. Friedrich's not so keen on the Art Nouveau pieces, but I love nature. And women. I can see. I remember in Claudine at school, when all the girls go swimming together at night. Night is the best time for a swim. When I was a girl, I was told that all the lakes in Louisiana have alligators, so... I never went for a midnight swim, but I regret it. Uh, this one's not very interesting. She gave it one and a half star, but she kept saying things about how um, does the fact that this is based on a true story make it less any less annoying and edgy? And she puts like the trademark symbol next to edgy the whole time, and she says edgy like fifteen more times. So that's interesting because edgy TM for me, like when I think edgy with the actual trademark symbol, like on the internet, whenever I used that or seen that it's more like this douche is doing something like douchey and he thinks he's so fucking rad but he's really actually just an ass that's what i was thinking it's not like it was like actively racist or like it wasn't trying to shock you or anything yeah nothing about it even when they did things like show her titty or like i keep calling it like show her titty because i'm trying to be ridiculous about it but it was actually like a normal scene it didn't feel like it was trying to be edgy like yeah, Colette's really like creatively frustrated and she's rebelling against like the world and this is how that looks for this girl who's rebelling. And it felt like a normal story progression, not like a ridiculous thing to be like, ha ha ha, here's Karen Knightley's boob. And uh, guess what? If you think these negative reviews only refer to it as her titty, you'd be right. Uh, this one, uh, give it two stars. The only thing that stopped me falling asleep was Kira Knightley's tits. And uh, no. Overzealous lesbian sex. Pretty long film. I had a headache for most of the time. What the fuck? This movie is an hour and 50 minutes long. It's not long. It's not long. And also there was, to get to the lesbian sex scene. It wasn't overzealous. It wasn't blue is the warmest color. Like It was literally like... Nor it was oh my god it was a normal sex scene that you would see in any other film like it wasn't like has it wasn't like here's labia outline like no <laughs> it was really pretty tame for like it was just... I guess it's shocking within the context of a period film a lot of people see out and out sex like you don't really see sex in period dramas very uh, this person gave it two stars um, this one sounds positive great gay gowns beautiful gay gowns so they appreciated the the clothing. They, the clothing was really great. Yeah, I'm kind of, I know it was kind of a smaller movie, but it still was sort of in the vein of like uh, Mary Queen of Scots, and that got an Oscar nom for clothing, uh, for costumes. It kind of fits into that that ilk. Mm-hmm. Did you see that one? That's pretty similar to this, but this one's better, I think. I haven't, and that's also on my to-watch list. And like by to-watch list, I don't mean the one that I'll never get to. This is the real one I will get to. This, I think, is one of the best, worst ones, and it's also the highest worst one. They gave it, like, three stars. Did not watch this by choice. Sitting in the theater watching this right now, and the best parts have been the bits of titty every so often. I don't know if it's the projection, but this looks like it was shot on my fucking phone. 
I think whoever was changing the camera settings had never touched a camera or seen a movie before. Worst of all, it's boring as fuck. Three stars. <laughs> three out of five stars. No, I'm surprised it's three out of five. That sounds like a one out of five kind of review. I love that this person is reviewing it while still watching it yeah. in the theater. And they're not there by choice, it says. So their friend was like, I want to see Colette. Do you want to come along? He goes, yes. I assume it's a he. Uh-huh. He goes, yes. And then halfway through is probably on his fucking phone, just groaning the whole goddamn time. While their friend is like, I wanted to see this. <laughs> For a reason. Dude, your phone's in the way. I'm trying, trying to see what happens. <laughs> We're like, at the moment. Bring the oh, That's so back. good. I love it. Um, and that's probably what I would say, though. This movie does not look like it's on a phone. And that's one of the, I think, the, the worst parts of it is so clean and by the book oh yeah it's very well filmed i think that must have been the projection in that guy's case for real because it did not feel low budget for me no it's aggressively clear he could be describing the favorite which does have like weird cameras that uses oh really and weird angles and it sometimes it has like more like low def cameras in some sections for like a reason Um, interesting so i could i've seen that said about that movie but not this one interesting yeah who knows so jen what can we take away from this movie in the the realm of the right sweats you know what do you think this has to do with with writing and the creative process as a whole i think we touched on two things that for me really landed which uh i mean the first is kind of what it's like to be a to be an aggressive creative who's like full of passion for what you do Mm -hmm. but then to be trapped in a position where you're ghostwriting for someone else I don't think ghostwriting is wrong or less creative. And I don't think that you are less creative if you are comfortable being a ghostwriter. You don't have to want recognition. But for the people that do want recognition, when they get stuck in those positions, it can be uh, soul crushing. And like, honestly, like just sort of uh, break you down to the point that you uh, like Colette kind of explode and Uh, act out and i am really happy with the way she acted out because she was really cool but i can see how it might be emotionally exhausting too yeah so for me i think it's just knowing where your limits are with that kind of thing and trying to avoid that and also to aggressively hate people who steal credit well steal credit and then i guess sort of stymie that creative process because you know, he bought the the house for her to write in and that felt like it was fun, but then he locked her in there. So it was, it's like, you aren't really supporting this. You're just trying to, to make more money. So I think it's also finding those people you can have in your life that will appropriately help that creative process and for the right reason. You know, that was a really beautiful metaphor too, this idea of a beautiful home that should be fun, but when you're trapped inside of it is not. Yeah. Um, and so you need to know, you need to deal with that kind of shit. Like, uh, am I trapped in the house or am I here by choice? And am I writing because it's good for me or am I writing because this asshole wants to exploit me? But also, um, I actually don't know what we can do to deal with the issue of like brand identity because I don't know that Colette would have ever gotten published or recognized. I don't know that Claudine would have seen the light of day Yeah. without without the fact that like Willie stole her work. Because he could have helped her and gotten her published in her own right because he was that famous. Um, That's what I I can't say. Why wasn't it just like Willie presents Colette's Claudine? Yeah, exactly. Like, why didn't he even just co-write it, like claim co-writership? Yeah. So it didn't necessarily need to be under his name, but I do think that, like, it's hard for anyone to get recognition without the help of someone already in a high position. Yeah, And so, I don't know, that for me was something I took away that was kind of, like, distressing. I was like, God, this, like, brand identity shit is going to, like, never die down. And now it's going to be ten times worse because we have fucking Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, Great. Get ready to fucking know your brand, guys. What I did like from it, which I think I took away, and I always like this in movies or anything, is it started off showing the salons, which has always been interesting to me, but then also been showing, like, later like oh you can like just fuck around with your friends and make meaningful art like she was just fucking around with her friends doing drunken miming work and then she made that into something that was uh aesthetically productive for her um so i like that idea too of of having those people around you that you could just 
do nothing with that becomes something. Yeah, that's I like that idea too. That was really beautiful to think of just like putting creatives together in a room and having fun. You get something cool out of it. That's the best part of these movies, I think, is just like the the parts of this, the, the movies that don't help move along the plot, don't really help with anything other than just like, oh, here's Colette with her friends doing something. Or even that scene with her and Willie where they're in the park and he's like, you know what, everyone's reading your book. Like that was just kind of fun. Like I like those parts that didn't have anything to do with anything. Mm-hmm. And I think those parts are as good for like the creative process as the all-nighter is in the, you know, flashes <laughs> of inspiration. Yeah, I think my, my second point was really similar in a way, um, not so much about the friendship creativity element, but just how creativity grows and expands with you as a person. Like your creativity is never limited to just one medium. Like if you're a writer, you're not only ever just a writer. And Mm -hmm. uh, I liked seeing that. And I liked that that took up so much of the film because I didn't know, I didn't know that that's what I was going in to go see. And it was cool because, you know, Leah, you and I talked about that, about how creativity is, so much more than just one thing and i loved that she was like on the outskirts of society and like i guess maybe that's what that person meant by the review is that she's part of the edgy crowd she really was yeah i mean she was a yeah artist crew but like by edgy in this case it's more like she was part of the breaking group not like the asshole redditors so yeah kind of different (laughs) i understand i liked it and i like um you know i always think of the story i know it's totally different but you know, you can never really do Virginia Woolf's uh, biopic just right if you had to. Her husband and her having an agreement and a you know, sexual agreement and an artistic agreement. I think this is a good way to like get to telling that story eventually, which is really hard for all of us to grapple. And-, and that's also why it kind of points me that people describe this film as like fake woke or something of that nature. Because these things are real. Like these stories are true. Like, can we just get around to like telling it? Like without worrying about whether or not it's catering to a certain demographic on tumblr or some shit like get over it like these (laughs) these people are fucking real like it just is just realism it's just realism and i'm happy we're getting to the point now where queer stories can be told in film and that doesn't have to be the event like it doesn't have to be an art film that is such a big risk and that has to just be like a gay movie. Like it doesn't have to be broke back anymore. It could be like this movie is a is a queer narrative, but if you ask me what it was, I would tell you it was just about a woman's writing career. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. If someone asked me to describe Colette, I definitely don't think well one hundred percent don't think that I know for sure because I've described seeing this movie to some of my coworkers. Didn't even occur to me to mention her relationship with Missy at all. Um or like the American. It was literally the stories about Colette as a creative and dealing with like her creative identity. Well, even 10 years ago, this movie would have had to have been all the queer relationship or none of it. So I I do like we're at the place now where that doesn't have to be the main focus of the movie. And that it also doesn't have to be like one of the best movies you've ever seen. It doesn't have to be so good that it's inarguable, you know, like, Call Me By Your Name or, or Brokeback, where those are so good, you can kind of get over it if you have some hangups about the queer aspect of it. But this one, you don't have to. Right. And it's also like, I like that it's not something that they just leave, don't even address at all. Like yeah. Hamilton, you know? What do you mean? Well, I guess this is more speculation rather than fact, but there was, I guess, uh, some sort of uh, historical speculation that uh, Hamilton had a relationship with a man that may not actually be true, but it, um, it just was like, it's not addressed. I've heard Lawrence isn't even in the play. Not that he really needs to be. That's the thing we're still trying to figure out with like Abe Lincoln. That always comes up every few years. No one puts it in the movie. Oh, I didn't even know that about Abe. Yeah, but we knew with Colette and it was in this movie. And that's all that matters. <laughs> we knew with Colette. <laughs> we knew Colette was queer. She was a mime. She um, was a mime and she fucking struggled creatively. And... I heard today that she had asked Audrey Hepburn to play her in a movie, like the movie version of, of Claudine. But also that doesn't add up because she died in like 51. And I don't know if Audrey Hepburn was active. She was alive, but she wasn't active. I don't think then. How fucking famous was Claudine? How do we not know Cla- if she was that famous that like Audrey Hepburn would even have been in like the running? Like I don't know. Yeah. I mean... If we have any French listeners, they can explain it to us, but... 
Yeah. <laughs> For all our listeners out there, like our, our hundreds of listeners, it really helped one of you is French. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's like explaining Pee Wee Herman to a non-American. Nobody really gets it because we don't really have a good answer. All right. Yeah. Um. So... Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope it made you want to watch Colette and also find yourself a We Are Miming group to hang out with. It's available uh, at the library. I got yeah. it on Redbox. <laughs> I hope you had fun, Leah. <laughs> Welcome back to your boring life in San and Diego. next week, we should be back with a normal episode. Probably no guests that I know of, no movie reviews, just a, a normal Good old-fashioned writing talk. Yep, yep, yep. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, uh, SoundCloud, I- iTunes, Pods, and everywhere else. And then next week we'll be back with um, Fan Fiction February. We'll be starting, right? Is next next week February? Oh, right. Yeah, spoiler. Uh, we're going to be diving into Fan Fiction February in February. Yes, we're dedicating so- the whole entire month to the disgusting and amazing world of fan fiction. Absolutely. So with that, I think we got to say goodnight on another episode of The Right Sweats. Bye. Bye. you later. <laughs> I really wanted to get that in. What did you say? Sweat you later. Sweat you later. The new catchphrase.